Welcome to Theory Paranormal. This is podcast 11. This is going to be our Halloween podcast. This is Pax. I have Dalton with me like normal. And uh, we're going to get into a few things about Halloween, where it kind of originated from, uh, some of the traditions with it, why we celebrate it as a holiday in the United States, and also how it's viewed upon in different parts of the world. So with that being said, happy Halloween, Dalton. How are you doing today? It's the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> you just totally dated us there on that one. Yeah, so what? <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. So, uh, so we're going to talk about Samhain. Yep. Yep, you can definitely say that. I'm sure that that particular word uh, might ring a few bells for some individuals and other individuals. Uh, sounds pretty strange, but uh, we'll get into that um, as far as that goes. So before you uh, unpackage... So you know the pumpkin is from the Gord family, right? Yes, I do, actually. So. You do? Okay. I didn't know if you knew. You know, you know what state produces the, the most pumpkins? Now that one, I do not know. What state is you that? Just came from there. Ah, uh, that would be the state of Illinois. Yes, sir. You are correct. There you go. Now you know. <laughs> <laughs> Illinois is the largest producer of pumpkins. Huh. I always thought it was corn. But for those that don't know what the Gord family is, that would be like the family of cantaloupes, melons, cucumbers, watermelons. That would be the Gord family. There you go. Just a little insight on the pumpkin. On the pumpkin. So, uh, yes. so tell me this: what do you uh, what do you know of uh, Halloween? Do you know where it originated from? Came from the Irish, the Celtic. Uh, it was known as Samhain. It's basically a. Uh, it happens. It's a tradition that's usually celebrated October 31st to November 1st to welcome in the harvest and usher in the dark half of the year. So it's basically a pagan religious festival originating from this Celtic spiritual tradition. There you go. And that, I believe that has something to do with the ending of the harvest season also. Yes, well, it's welcoming in the the harvest and usher in the uh, dark half of the year. Hmm. So basically the dark half of the year falls into like a paranormal type thing. Okay. If you didn't know that, um, the celebrants, they believe that the barriers between the physical world and the spirit world break down during Samhain, allowing more interaction between humans and uh, basically things of the other world. Interesting. So, right. I got one for you. What's do, that? do you know the whole purpose of saying trick or treat? I do not. So basically, back in the time of Samhain, the poor visited the homes of the rich, where they promised to pray for the souls of the rich family's ancestors in exchange for pastries called soul cakes. This was known as souling, a tradition later taken up by children who went door to door asking for gifts like money, food, and ale. Think about that. Kids asking for ale. Go figure. 
And so basically, eventually the promise to pay for the dead relatives was replaced by the sharing of song, poems, jokes, or other kind of performances, a trick. Thus, trick for a treat, which was usually fruits, nuts, or coins, uh, as far as it goes. Here's something that's even more interesting. Traditional Halloween food wasn't candy. So when it was traditionally associated with a barn brack, a special fruit bread with sultanins, raisins, and other objects baked in, each object came with a prediction. If your piece had the pea, you wouldn't get married that year. The stick meant you'd have an unhappy marriage. The rag meant you'd be poor. The coin meant rich. And the ring, you'd get married that year. That's how mm. that pretty much goes. Now, as far as it goes, here's, here's, here's another nugget for you. Basically, in the early 20s, 1920s, Halloween was not a very festive time in the United States. And what it came out to, it was all about pranking people. And it was dangerous. It was common for major cities to see ratty young people causing over $100,000 in damage each year. And this was due to the Great Depression, pranks frequently devolving into vandalism, assault, and other forms of violence. Basically, they say this that this is the 1920s. Yep, in 1920s, and some That's people, crazy. some people even said it was such a dangerous time that led to the heavily organized community-based trick-or-treating that took hold in the 1930s. The trend was put on pause during World War II when children couldn't be trick-or-treating because of sugar rationing. Basically, because of that, candy companies got involved, and they hold a bunch of campaigns specifically to generate and push the candy industry one of the other things about it what do you what, why do you think people wore costumes well there's a few different things about that but tell me what you think so my two cents is is basically the celts believed in halloween the worlds of the dead and living overlapped they thought that the demons roamed through the earth at night dressing as one of them was meant to be defensive if you ran into a real demon that idea was they wouldn't think you were one of them that's that's just one spin of many many possibilities and theories on uh, on why that is. And that's the most that's the most common spin that I've heard mm-hmm. is basically you're blending in because, like I said earlier, the boundaries between the living and the dead are thin at that time. So they wanted to basically uh, camouflage themselves to blend in in case they did run into a demon then that demon would think nothing of it. Just keep on, you know, keep it on. Don't do his thing. Yep. But also back then, the most significant, they built fires and stuff. They had fire festivals. This was like the fall equinox and the winter solstice. So during this time of year, fires and family homes were left to burn out while the harvest was gathered. So while they were gathering the harvest, they let the fires dissipate. After the harvest was complete, they joined in with the Druid priests to light a community fire using a wheel that would cause friction and spark flames. And the wheel was considered a representation of the sun and used along with prayers. Doing this, you would never think that they sacrificed cattle and participants took a flame from the communal bonfire back to their home to relight basically the fires in their homes. 
So it was symb- it was symbolic also then is what you're getting at. Exactly. So early text presents that Samhain as a mandatory celebration lasting three days and three nights where the community was required to show themselves to local kings and chieftains. Failure to participate was believed to result in punishment from the gods. Hmm. Well, that's understandable. Usually, right. So usually they like in an illness or a death. So there was also, if you committed a crime during this these three days, basically you were sentenced to death. Well, there you so go. So you couldn't commit a right. So you couldn't commit a crime. So what I'm saying though is, so here we are back then where they say, if you commit a crime during this period, we're, you're you're basically dead. But yet in 1920, these people were committing crimes left and right. Yeah, boosted. Yeah, and and it boosted the candy industry. <laughs> Yeah, go figure. <laughs> go figure. Cycle. You know, it's it's uh that's why I brought that up because it just kind of played along with what I like when you said nineteen twenty, I'm thinking what? Because yeah. we're back in what? Right. This is well, how does that tie in? or something? Right. No. Yeah. So here's something for you. If you had to pick anywhere in the world, where do you think the capital of Halloween would be for a city or cities? Anywhere in the world? Uh I don't know. I'm going to say, because I know a lot of this stuff originated in Ireland, so is it a capital of Ireland? Nope. What it is, uh, it's actually, there's a lot of fanfare about it, depending on uh, who you talk to, and I guess who lives closer to what city, but uh, in the United States, there's, there's two cities specifically, which would be Salem, Massachusetts, and- Yes, a, the witch burnings. Yep. And a, uh, a city called, and uh, hopefully I pronounce this correct, but Inuka, Minnesota. And Salem, Massachusetts would be, due to the witch trials back in the day, put that you know claim to fame on the map. Um, as far as it goes with uh, Inuka, Minnesota, their whole purpose was the fact, back in the day, people used to do all sorts of funky stuff just to mess with people on Halloween. And we're talking, basically, they would wake up in the morning and people would find their cows roaming Main Street, windows soaped up, outhouses tipped over. And they got tired of this happening year after year because, like I said originally, it was about pranking people. And so they supposedly institutionalized citywide by having a festival and really doing you know the whole town hall getting together and everybody having costumes and making it a whole thing to where everybody got involved um, basically like one big street party and this was like back in the day way way long time ago and so that that even to this current day that is one of their their biggest things that they do uh, yeah, throughout the year People look forward to it. They, people travel from all over just to go to this town for Halloween to experience, uh, you know, everything it has to offer for Halloween. But and that's and that's Salem. Uh, no, no. Oh, the uh, this, Minnesota town. Yeah, this is uh, Anuka, Minnesota. Yeah, because I know Salem does a big chin dig during Halloween, and I, I actually think next year I'm going to go up there and see what that's about. There you go. But, it's supposed uh, to be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. I mean. 
you know how this the saying goes. Uh, every single thing that you hear, there's a little bit of truth to it, no matter how unbelievable it may seem. So that's the neat thing about history. You have the have and have nots, and you don't know what's sprinkled uh, in to be real and not real on things, but it's always the what-if scenario that makes, makes life uh, interesting. I like to think. So. so what do you do? So what's the first thing that symbolizes halloween you think in what in 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 what way are you talking like in society or are you talking when you think of halloween i mean what stands out to you what's the for me the most trademark thing that just goes hand in hand which i would have to say is just due to upbringing is a pumpkin because everybody thinks of a pumpkin when it comes to halloween uh first and foremost right so, first of all, I'll give you a tip. You might not know this, but if you cut the bottom of the pumpkin out, right, and then you take a, a mixer, you know, like a handheld, you know, a mixer type deal, one of the handheld mixers that you do like cakes and stuff with. Okay. If you cut the bottom of the pumpkin out, you turn it upside, you turn it on its side, and you take the handheld mixer and you go in there and you rotate it with the blades on it and go inside the pumpkin It'll actually help you shred all that and almost separate, help you separate the pumpkin seeds from the actual pumpkin itself. And then you just go in there and scoop it out. But my whole thing is once you carve it, then you actually just set the pumpkin on over the top of the candle. That makes sense. Instead of people always trying to shove it in the pumpkin and then put the top on. And yeah. There you go. Yeah. So you just cut the bottom out, use that handheld mixer to get all your stuff out of there, carve it. And then just put the candle on the ground and then just set the pumpkin straight over the top of the candle. Anyway, just a little inside trick there in case most people didn't know about that. When you think of jack-o'-lanterns, anybody come to mind to you? Yeah, the Headless Horseman. Headless Horseman. That's a whole nother conversation. But we're going to talk about Stingy Jack. <laughs> <laughs> so Stingy Jack was a miserable old drunk. You know, he loved playing tricks on anyone and everyone. One Halloween night. He ran into the devil himself, basically a bar. They call it a local public house. So Jack tricked the devil by offering his soul in exchange for one last drink. <clears throat> so the devil turned himself into a, a coin so that he could pay the bartender with, right? Okay. So Jack took the coin, put it in his pocket, and in his pocket he had a silver cross. So basically what that did was it kept the devil from being able to transform back to his originator self. What happened was Jack said basically he was going to refuse to release the devil unless he agreed that the devil leave him alone for 10 years. So, of course, the devil agreed. 10 years later, Jack again came across the devil while out walking on a country road, and the devil tried collecting what he was due. But Jack quickly, you know, was thinking about stuff, and he goes, I'll go, but before I do, can you fetch me that apple from that tree? Don't know why the devil would say yes, but the devil did. He really had nothing to lose, so he jumped up in the tree to retrieve the apple. And as soon as he did, Jack placed crosses all around the trunk of the tree, thus trapping the devil once again. This is the second time the devil's been played a fool. Once again, Jack made the devil promise, you don't bother me for another 10 years, then I'll remove the crosses and allow you to come down. So, of course, the devil agreed with a grudge, of course. Eventually, Stingy Jack 
wound up passing away several years later. So went to the gates of heaven. And of course, what happened? He was refused entry because of the life of drinking and because he had been tight-fisted and deceitful to people that God did not want this kind of slippery, savory type of dude in, in heaven. Basically, they wouldn't accept him. So Jack went to hell to basically see the devil and find out whether it was possible to gain entrance into the depths. But the devil uh, kept the promise that had been made to Jack years earlier and will not let him enter. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah. So obviously, Stingy Jack died before the 10 years was, was up. And of course, the devil being, you know, the good guy that he is, he upheld his part and said, well, you ain't coming in here either. So basically, Jack was like, where do I go? I don't know. He kind of pleaded with the devil basically to help find his way. Devil, as a final gesture, tossed Jack an ember straight from the fires of the pit down there. So Jack placed the ember in a hollowed out turnip. It's one of his favorite foods, which he always carried around with him whenever he, you know, he could steal one from that. So from that day forward, Jack has been doomed to roam the earth without a resting place and with only his lit turnip to light the way in the darkness. So hence, in Ireland and Scotland, people begin to make their own versions of jack-o'-lanterns by carving scary faces in the turnips or potatoes and placing them in the windows and near doors to frighten away Stingy Jack and other wandering evil spirits. None of this was going on in the U.S. until they brought that over here. When when the Irish, because uh, the English, they use large beats. Yep. And immigrants from these countries, you know, brought the jack-o'-lantern tradition with them when they came to the United States. And that's when they soon found that pumpkins, a fruit native to America, make a perfect jack-o'-lantern. And that is how jack-o'-lanterns came about. Interesting. Very interesting. I always knew um, it was the word also, uh, you know, bad energy, spirits, you know, things of that nature. Um, but I never knew uh, the deeper rooted history of it, the symbology, you know, to the level that you just imparted with us and all of the listeners. There we go. Yes, this was, an, this was like an Ireland, England type of uh, folklore, basically their way of saying this is what happened. So obviously... Stingy Jack was a real person, and obviously he played the trick on the devil one too many times, so he was neither, which which was kind of funny because you would think the devil would go, okay, I'll take your soul, but the devil said, no, I'm going to uphold my promise and not bother you for 10 years. Hmm. And so, but interesting. it is interesting. You, you it's know, an interesting uh, tidbit there. You know, Halloween is referred to uh, multiple, multiple references between Halloween all Halloween, All Hallows Eve, or All Saints Eve, which is all observed in, in uh, different countries on the 31st of October. Then you have All Hallow Tide, which is the beginning of the observance of the time of the year dedicated to remembering the dead. What's interesting about it that I find, basically, no matter what background that you have, there is a day that's dedicated to departed people in different backgrounds, which I think is pretty cool. You got different parts of the world that once upon a time never were cognizant of each other, but yet they still had, uh, symbology-wise, a, a day dedicated to remembrance of, of uh, past loved ones. And so they all, you know, had their own traditions and cultures and so forth for, you know, remembering people that were once in their lives. I think that's neat. Anytime I find any any uh, connecting theories or, or backgrounds or things of different cultures or uh, religions or, or things of that connect to one another, but never had that direct connection, um, that's, that's pretty neat. 
Yeah, it's always cool to see what the other side. I mean, Christmas is kind of the, I guess, the same way. I guess a lot of cultures celebrate Christmas in a in a different way. But we're not going to go there because we're already the, we're talking about Halloween. But somehow Christmas got to play in there too. Because and and even what Easter, it's it is kind of I don't really know how to put it, but it is kind of interesting if you go back and you look like you look at the legend of the the folklore of Stingy Jack, or if you go to the Celtic, how they believed the thin line. What would you call that? Like a barrier between two worlds thinned out enough that they had to sacrifice cows and do lightings and and then all of a sudden dressing up to be able to blend in with whatever demons might cross over you get to that and you throw that into the paranormal mix and then it's like lord what else are we missing here (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) so with that being said dalton let's uh let's get a little bit more on the paranormal side now um well let's go let's go back a minute because you mentioned the headless horseman i love the headless horseman so okay Depending on the legend, the horseman is either carrying his head or is missing his head altogether and is searching for it, basically. So, in Irish folklore, folklore, the Delahan, if I'm pronouncing that right, which means dark man, is a headless demonic fairy, usually riding a horse and carrying his head under his arm. He wields a whip made from human corpses' spines. When he stops riding, a death occurs, and he calls out a name, at which point the named person immediately dies. In another version, he is headless. He's a headless driver of a black carriage, a similar figure, basically without a head, can be frightened away by wearing a gold object or putting one in his path. So that last part, okay, he could be a headless driver of a car- carriage, but let's go back to a demonic fairy. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. Have you ever heard of a demon fairy? I don't, I've never heard of one. Never with those two words side by side, but uh, I think for everything that's good, there's something equally bad. So, hey, perhaps. I'm going to have to research a demonic demonic fairy now. <laughs> hey. That's crazy. Because fairy, I'm thinking Tinkerbell, man. Can you imagine Tinkerbell being demonic? Uh, that would be a whole different movie. Slash show there. So in Scottish folklore, the most prominent Scots tale of the Headless Horseman concerns a man named Ewan who was decapitated in a clan battle at Glen Kinnear, Isle of Mole. The battle denied him any chance to be a chieftain. So basically, he and his horse are headless in accounts of his haunting of the area. So basically, in that area, that's, I guess, where the only place they see him. So among the Highland, the seeing these people in Scottish, Cape Brenton, and Nova Scotia, they either see the image or hearing the sound of the horse or the headless rider, and it's regarded as an omen of an imminent death within the family. You go back to the first one, and he calls out a name. That person dies automatically. That's no in good. Scottish, right. So in Scottish folklore, if you see the image or you hear him, it's basically an omen of an imminent death within the family. Now, you want to get a little paranormal. You know you, you know about the guy, the caretaker with the top hat. Most people see that, and they wake up next day and find out a family member's passed. Huh. Kind of ironic. They're using the headless horseman in that way in the Scottish folklore. Where over here, we've had people talk about seeing the caretaker. They don't know why this seven-foot dude in a top hat and a trench coat staring at him. And it looks like he's trying to say something, and he disappears. And the next morning, they get up, and somebody died in their family. Interesting there. Little little play on both ends. Kind of the same deal, but using two different people, two different entities. In German folklore, 
headless horsemen come mostly from the Rhineland rather than using decapitation. The headless horsemen killed their victims simply by touching them. Hmm. So basically they were, I guess after he touched them, they become spirits who had to wander the earth until they had atoned for their sins. Sometimes by doing a good deed for a stranger, but instead of showing their gratitude by shaking hands, the stranger and the horseman held a tree branch between them, and the branch would wither and die rather than the stranger. Hmm. So so basically, would that sound like a guardian angel <laughs> in the paranormal world? Right. I'm I'm kinda like like trying to figure out like, you know, when I did the research on this stuff and I get deeply into the, the headless horseman. I'm starting to see play like uh, plays off the paranormal. So if you're telling me that the Germans believe that the horsemen killed their victims by touching them and they were basically revnots, if I pronounce that right. So a revnot, a revenant is an animated corpse that is believed to have been revived from death to haunt the living, basically derived from the old French word revnot, <laughs> the returning. Huh. Okay, so so basically he kills them, turns them into a walking, almost like a spirit zombie. They have to basically atone for their sins sometimes by doing a good deed for a stranger. Interesting. So, okay, so I'm going to take the guardian angel thing back now, basically, but I don't know. It's kind of like a guardian angel. I don't, I'm trying to figure out which one I would use for that. You have to do a good deed for a stranger to atone for your sins. Right. Little little play for you there, in case a little footnote you didn't know about. The Headless Horseman, basically, there's there's plenty of different descriptions and takes. And they and they claim it's a mythical figure, basically appeared in folklore around the world since the Middle Ages. Traditionally depicted as a rider upon a horseback who is missing his head. So you, when you see the all these folk lowers uh, between the Irish, the German, the Scottish, I mean... I'm going to read into that some more because I believe that some of that, you know, is kind of leaning on the paranormal. Like there's some hints of paranormal there. And speaking about the paranormal, we can go into Halloween and the paranormal phenomena and they make for very supernatural events. Yep. I so def I definitely believe that. What do you believe about it? Well, <clears throat> depending on who you ask. Some people say, I don't know anything about it. Some people say, what's Halloween? Some people will say that is the best day to contact the other side. Some people say that's a great day to get candy for free. <laughs> it just really depends, symbolically speaking. It's one of the most, uh, I guess I could say, impactful, important days to try to communicate with the paranormal. To me, though, almost another day, except it has a meaning to it on the date and, you know, society's impression of what it represents. So it adds value and weight. But, you know, potato, potato. So you're saying that back in the in the days, you know, the, the Celtic, where they say that, you know, between October 31st and November 1st, the barrier between two worlds are thinned out enough to where maybe the paranormal activity is stronger. We just... I mean, have we ever done an investigation on Halloween before? Not directly. Not that I can recall. Uh, I know that we've done a few that were close around to the date, but not directly on the date of it. To answer your question, though, I do believe there are certain locations that have a known history of having things get more active on Halloween Eve 
or Halloween day energy wise. How and why beats me, but that's just the way it is. That's just documented places that have lots of proof. Let's say, hey, yeah, this time of year comes around and things fall off the wall or we start hearing rapping on the walls or we hear, you know, disembodied voice or we may see uh, an ethereal being or spectral being or some orbs or feel cold or hot spots. Just depends. So your thought about vampires, werewolves, uh, witches, warlocks, uh, what's your thought on all that? Sounds like a good Dungeons and Dragons game to me. It is. So I got to roll the 12 sided dice. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, so somewhere along the lines, real quick, I did, I did read, you know, of course, the vampire, you had Dracul, Dracul. from Romania. That was, yep. yeah, that was a real guy. He was real. The weird thing is they talk about werewolves being legit. Not going to get too much into that because I just said we're going to go to the paranormal, but it was one last question I had for you on that, on that deal. So the paranormal, let's, let's, you wanted to go there. Guess what the number one listed best scary ghost story out of 11, guess what number one is? Hmm. Out of all the places we could investigate, what would be the number one for the best scary story? I would say the Winchester house. Sloss Furnace. Oh, of course. Basically, about five years after the Civil War in Birmingham, Alabama, was founded with its birth in 1871 came the need for tons of pig iron to fix the u.s basically the u.s is uh crumbling infrastructure i don't ever think they fixed it since 1871 if you ask me anyway that's a whole nother subject but colonel james withers sloss was his last name he began to build the sloss furnaces and a year later the company opened its doors to hundreds of employees of jobs on blast furnaces were advanced but also dangerous. So many workers, they started to fall into their deaths, into the furnaces. And by the early 1900s, conditions had worsened with crew foreman. His name was James Slag Wormwood. Basically, he took the dangerous risk to increase production, according to the, the tales and the stories back then. And during his tenure at Slosh, nearly 50 employees died on site, and many others were involved in terrible accidents. Allegedly, his workers threw him into the furnace in retaliation in 1906. And they say today you can still hear him walk around the Sloss furnace. And you may even hear Slag's voice yelling, get back to work. It's not, so, not a story. Well, you know, if you, I guess, 1906, they threw him in a furnace. You know, I don't know if he really deserved it or not. But that is one place I do want to investigate, though, that we have not done yet. I wouldn't mind putting that on the books because I want to see if it is actually the number one most scariest place. Yeah, back back then, they didn't have safety precautions or procedures or OSHA standards. or They didn't have anything. And that back then, they didn't even have uh, child labor laws. Um, they had nothing. Not that I remember. Not that I was there, but just simply saying, you know, for perspective. Definitely, uh, definitely interesting. So here's... The last question I have for you for, for this podcast episode today that we're doing here, Dalton. Mm -hmm. If you were doing an investigation during Halloween, 2 in the morning, what would you want to have at your disposal to investigate with if you could pick one paranormal item to use and you had anything that you needed, money was not an object, what would you pick and why? 
Well, that's a tough question because there's a lot of tools that I'd like to have. But if I only had to choose one, uh, probably a FLIR. Well, what's a FLIR do? FLIR gives off the ambient temperature in the room. So basically, it's like a thermal device. So you can see the the actual heat and the cold. You know what I'm saying? So it's like looking through, you know, a thermal scope or a thermal thermal, thermal imager. Is. Yep. Okay. So a FLIR is basically thermal imaging because... The simple fact is, is that we can use regular cameras and you might pick something up. You could use, you know, your digital recorders, your digis and pick up voices and stuff. But the FLIR, we've caught a lot of evidence on a FLIR where, you know, you could see the, the form peek around the door that you can't see with your own eyes or you can't pick up with a camera. So if I was going to and also investigating on Halloween, I would also want to put to the test on how thin the veil really is between the 31st and the 1st. So I would want to know, like, is that an all day transformation that it thins out or is it after midnight or is there a certain time early in the morning but uh a flur definitely a flur what one tool would you use they're they're known as ghost boxes but it's it's nothing more than a radio that jumps from frequency to frequency and in between mm-hmm. each station there's white noise as it's called which for the most part is just pure radio energy and uh to make it simple Let's just say that the other side can hop on in and use that pure energy to communicate back via voice um, so I can hear things clear as day as if you're talking to me. It's, it's, it's pretty interesting because there's no way to manipulate it or change it. You can't go in and have a predefined answer already set. Just whatever comes through comes through. When you ask very specific questions... And you get a very specific answer. Uh, he, there's nothing else in the world, in my mind, that can top that. You know, if I'm wearing a blue baseball cap and a red shirt, if I say, "Am I wearing a a red shirt and a blue baseball cap?" and the reply back is yes, it's like, okay. Well, the fact they could have said yes or no, and they replied yes, you know, that's 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 pretty big. And then if I said, "Okay, what what's your favorite color I'm wearing?" and they reply back with red or blue. That right there in itself seals it. <laughs> you know, they could have came back with a ton of other colors or, or with some uh, word that has nothing to do with anything I'm even speaking about. But when it hits that spot on, then it's like, okay, cool. You know, we're in business. So I've uh, I've utilized them before. Been very successful. It's, it's, it's like playing darts, you know, or doing a scratch off. You know, if you pick up from the store, it's all a matter of luck. And uh, just see what happens. So for me, it would definitely be a uh, a ghost box uh, is what I would utilize. And I like ghost boxes, man. They're cool. Yeah, they're pretty neat. It's um, newer technology. They uh, originally got developed in the uh, in the seventies and uh, didn't really get mainstream for the paranormal aspect up until the last, I'd say, about 10, 12 years ago. So, you know, if we had time. We could go into, because I wanted to talk about some movies. Did you know that The Shining, you remember The Shining? Yep. That the reason old scary Jack could take that axe and basically break through the door as fast and as efficient as he did. You know, he stuck his head through there and he's like, here's Johnny. Remember that? Yep. It's because Jack was a lumberjack. <laughs> <laughs> and he was very good with the axe. 
And so they had to basically, they had to double up that door. So it gave him an extra layer because he was breaking through it just way too fast. They well, wanted to slow him down. So yeah, there's, there's a trivia piece for you. Yeah, the good trivia piece. Yep. You remember the Candyman? I believe so. So the Candyman was the guy with the bees. They made a movie, had bees. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he'd come out, come out the mirror if he said his name. Yep. Kind of like the Bloody Mary thing, which which I thought we might could talk about too. But anyway, so the Candyman, you know, you know how that came about, the origination of that. The, uh, what's, the, the, what's the story behind that? The story is that there was an actual like apartment housing, and it was in like a bad area. This woman, she was in her apartment, and she kept hearing strange noises inside the walls. Basically, it went on for a few days. And then one day, she was near the bathroom, and she seen something coming through the mirror, what she thought was coming through the mirror. And it was a weird dude. He had a big, creepy smile. And she called the cops, and she was telling them, you know, hey, there's this guy, this evil-looking guy coming through my mirror, and he's coming to attack me. And so, of course, the cops showed up. Nobody was there, but she was dead. So this thing came out of the mirror and killed her. And for the longest time, they never knew, you know, what happened. So come to find out was that this apartment, this multi-story apartment building or whatever, had secret hallways in between the walls, I, I want to say, if I remember right, they were like homeless people learned about these passageways. And that's how they were breaking into people's houses. Of course, the young lady that passed away, she just got a hold of one that was just psycho. Yeah. And so the whole point of this creepy, big, smiley dude that looked like he had some kind of infested bugs or something swarming around. Basically, what he did was he took the mirror off the wall and he came through the wall where the mirror was hung. There was a hole back there, hmm. but I can't like a hundred percent tell you, but that's a gist. That's the gist of how they created the candy man. And, um, basically he came through the mirrors, but it's based on a, it's based on a legit story. Well, like I said, in every single thing, there's a little bit of truth. So yeah, kind of like the Jeepers Creepers thing, man, was pretty cool about all the places in Florida that they filmed. And they filmed at a lot of haunted places like, uh, was it Delaline Road or something? Another location that was actually haunted. Why they picked all these haunted areas to add authenticity. Jeepers Creepers. Well, to add authenticity. Can't say the word today. Authenticity to <laughs> it. <laughs> Gotta slow down like my folk lore. No, you were saying fork lore. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like kinda, a good, sounds like a new. Your new your new uh, autobiography book on uh, food. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, well, southern accent gets in the way every now and then. There you go. Well, Mr. Dalton, this is going to wrap up our uh, episode 11, Theory of Paranormal, concerning the Halloween for all of our listeners that have uh, decided to listen to us again. Or if you're brand new, we definitely appreciate it. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, as always, please email us at info at theoryparanormal.com. Yeah, this one's a short one. It's a shorty, but I uh, just kind of want to throw something out there to, you know, do something for Halloween. You know, me and you agreed to kind of throw some stuff out there. And I, I think we threw some interesting facts out there. I think the next episode, we're going to get back to the to the paranormal side, I believe. Oh, yeah, we got we got something planned for the next episode that I think everybody's really going to like. Definitely uh, keep a lookout for it. It'll be uh, coming sooner than later. And uh, we'll be on location somewhere in Florida. 
have to uh, listen in and see what that one's about. Yeah, because we are going to start doing investigations. Got some new gear we're going to try out. We got some more gear coming. We have decided to take our podcast to some of the investigations that we're going to do. So it should be an interesting thing doing a podcast in a haunted location. Oh, yeah. Definitely something different. We got plans in the works. So, so as always, as we say here in Theory Paranormal, don't be afraid to ask questions.